morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Little boy was playing in the backyard. He's climbing trees, swinging on the swing, playing with his cars in the dirt, playing catch with his dog when his mother called him in for lunch. So he rushed in because he was starving and worked up an appetite. Gets to the table, and before he can dig in, she says, let's pray before we start. And so he starts to fold his hands, and when Mama sees the hand, she says, stop right there. She said, those hands are filthy. And so he just started to do what little boys do, started to wipe them on his jeans. She said, no, 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 no. Those have germs all over them. You get in that bathroom and you wash those hands and you wash them good. How many times, little man, have I told you that you get sick with those germs? And so up he gets after rolling his eyes and he starts to walk out of the kitchen and down the hall. Then he comes back and sticks his head back in and he says, Jesus and germs, Jesus and germs. All I ever hear around here is Jesus and germs. And I've never seen either one of them. <laughs> the writers of our New Testament often encourage us that the focus of our attention needs to be on what I cannot see, not what I can. And in one word we call that faith. The writer of the Hebrew letter defines it this way. Faith is a confidence of what we hope for, and it's the assurance what we cannot see. Now that very description of faith, if it's on target, and I think it is, it's in the Bible, then by definition, faith is a challenge. Because we have confidence in what we can see much more naturally, much more greater than our confidence in what we can't. For the last three weeks, we have been kicking around the idea that our lives are governed by what we deem to be greater than other aspects of our lives. And I'm saying that because we're constantly making decisions based on options. And the one that I believe is greater than is usually the one that I go with. And so I want to remind you that when it comes to evil, that when it comes to suffering, when it comes to your religion, God is greater than evil. God is greater than your sufferings. God is greater than your religion. And this morning... I'd like to encourage you that he is greater than your doubts. I think a good place to start is by reminding you that faith fluctuates even among the most faithful. Even those of you who you'd place in the hall of fame of faith in your lifetime or in maybe even the Bible, they became faithful through moments of great doubt. When I say biblical faithful, most of us probably think of the father of faith, Abraham. And why wouldn't we? Because of words like Paul, as he writes in Romans chapter 4, where he says, Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Well, that phrase, did not waver, catches me. And I think it has to mean the, the overall big picture of Abraham's faith or his final grade of faith because I've read the story of Abraham a time or two. And there's a few moments in his life where he definitely did a little wavering-like stuff. Like when he traveled down to Egypt and he lied about Sarah, his wife, being his sister so that Pharaoh doesn't knock him off to make room in his harem for a new bride. Then a few years later, he does exactly the same thing with King Abimelech. Oh, 
Or how about that whole Hagar debacle? When at the insistence of his wife, he sleeps with her handmaid because God's not delivering on his promise to give them a child quick enough. If Abraham's a poster child of faith, if he's the father of faith, I'm telling you, there's a few smudges on that poster. And that has to give me hope. It has to give you hope. Because God sees us as a man or a woman of faith, even when there's a few incidences in our life when we would get F in the moment for faith. Another way of seeing this is saying that Abraham's faith is kind of like a bull market. Now, some of you may not know what a bull market is, but you may have heard the term bull market, especially in our culture, because the stock market is a big part of America. And all that simply means is, is there's a time frame in which the whole market, not just your stocks, but it seems to be the whole bunch of stocks are moving up. We're at a bull market now, or at least the last portions of it. And the trend is up, as you can see, but on the, on the slide there, that not every day or every month is the bull market up. There's some days it's up, there's some days it's down. But overall, a bull market is an upwards market. Stocks become more valuable in that market. Well, hopefully, that's what your faith looks like on a graph. Not all days are up. Not all months are up. But hopefully, by and large, as God looks at your life and looks at your faith, it's growing from the bottom right to the upper left. Paul, one of the latecomers of Jesus' disciples, therefore encourages that new preacher, that young preacher, listen, if there's a thing that you're going to pursue, you flee the evil desires of youth, but you pursue righteousness. And we'd expect that one. But he also says pursue faith, pursue love and peace. I understand righteousness, I understand love, but Paul says you've got to pursue faith? Really? Yes, because faith's a journey. You don't ever arrive. Jesus, through one of his other disciples, Jude, writes this, build yourself up in the most holy faith. Little book, but a big word. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. The writers here are just simply encouraging us to grow in our faith because it is naturally something that fluctuates, and I don't always think of it that way. Some of you here may not relate to any of what I've just said. Because for you, faith is really pretty easy. It's something that comes naturally to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says there are those that are even given the gift of faith, and that may be you. And I just want to say, God bless you. But the rest of the tribe, <laughs> we struggle with it. Our faith ebbs and flows. There are some major ups and downs because there's times in my life when it seems like there are things that are going on that just defy logic and defy some sense of right in the world. And, and I've, never, I've never shaken my fist at God and said, we are done. But there are definitely some days when I said, really? If, if you're in charge, this is going on? This is under your control. And what I've needed then and what I need now is a Savior whose faithfulness is greater than my faith. And the good news is I have one. There's a great story in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus has taken Peter and James and John up for a little retreat. And while they're up on the mountain, all heaven breaks loose and this brilliance, this glorious nature falls on Jesus. It may have been his nature and, and his glory before he came to this earth, but it returns and he's glowing like a GE light bulb. 
The disciples witness this, and they are amazed and say, Lord, we want to stay right here. Matter of fact, could we build a condo and just all live right here? Jesus says, no. Because none of us get to stay up on the mountain with Jesus long. Here's what Mark goes on to write about that time. When they came down to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law were arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing about? Well, the man in the crowd said, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He was possessed by a spirit that had robbed him of his speech, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. You unbelieving generation, Jesus said. How long am I to stay with you? How long do I have to put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it threw him to the ground in convulsion. He rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus said, how long has this been going on? From his childhood, his dad answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or into the water to kill him. But if you could do anything... Please take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, really, I tell you everything is possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, Lord, I do believe. Would you please help my unbelief? You ever prayed that prayer? If you say no, I doubt it. I know firsthand how real and legitimate doubt can be. When the elders gathered around Donna to anoint her with oil and to pray over her, I said, Lord, I believe, but please help our unbelief. When I prayed for a young lady this week who's been in and out of rehab, she's hanging on to God for the moment. I'm saying, God, would you please help her hang on? Would you please surround her with people who will help her hang on? And I prayed, believing, but I said, Lord, help my unbelief. When I prayed for a single mom that I admire to please choose a follower of Christ this time to marry. I'm praying that she does or stay single. Please, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. This text underscores why for some of us faith is such a struggle. Here's the first reason I see. The presence of senseless evil. The presence of senseless evil. That... That's tough to have faith in. I'm leery of books and sermons that make living in a relationship with God sound simple, please. <laughs> Any relationship is a challenge, but one in which the other party is invisible most of the time? Wow. I understand the birth of a baby whispers the existence of God. The taking in of oxygen from the atmosphere and putting it in my blood shouts that there is a creator who's good. But the same token, the selling of drugs to an 11-year-old, the unexpected car bombing of innocent people, cancer in a 4-year-old, really? All of that calls into the question of, a, of an existing, all-powerful God. We sung some marvelous songs this morning, and I've believed every single word that we've sung as far as God's almightiness and his otherness and his bigness 
But we've sung those songs in the midst of children starving to death right now around the world. In the midst of those who are dying from disease from unclean drinking water. We've sung those songs. We've taken communion when children are being sold into sex slavery. Where somewhere today a mother and father are going to walk into a living room and are going to say, your mom and daddy aren't living together anymore. That's the world we live in. Where senseless evil often attacks children as it does here in Mark chapter 9. I've had very few discussions with people who have rejected Jesus because of the lack of scientific information. The biggest reason most of the people that I know don't have faith in God is because they don't believe the world's being run like a God who could, would. It's not so much a struggle with God's existence, but a struggle with his absence that they don't have faith. The truth is they want to see a more visible, radiant, glorious Christ. The scripture tells us plainly it's not going to happen until he comes back. Not like what Matthew, not like what Peter and John and James experienced. But the scripture does say there is going to come a day. You can bank on it. When a new heaven and a new earth are going to be here. A brand new heaven and a brand new earth. And all of our questions will be answered. But we're not there yet. And so we have lots of questions. Questions that shouldn't be ignored and certainly not undermined. No, I understand why faith is hard because we live in a world where the presence of senseless evil exists. But number two, we struggle with faith also because of the absence of faithful followers. I brought you my son, this man said, and I asked your disciples to help, and they couldn't. Now, as far as this man was concerned, to bring a boy to Jesus was the same thing as to bring him to his disciples. And there was nothing but disappointment when he did that. Oh, believing, unbelieving generation, Jesus says. How, how long am I to put up with you? Really? He's not talking about just anybody. I pulled up my chair to the table to this one and said, he's talking about me. He's talking about any disciple. Any disciple. Because the truth is, unbelieving believers make it hard for unbelievers to believe in Jesus. Unbelieving believers make it hard for unbelievers to believe in Jesus. We have to own that truth as much as the disciples did that day and hear that truth as much as it stung for them, it stings for us. But I just want to say this shortly. All right, all right, all right, all right. I'll admit I have hypocrisies. We, we will all admit that we have hypocrisies. We'll do our best to repent of it and we'll do our best to seek the Spirit's help to overcome it. But... Christians don't have a corner on the market when it comes to hypocrisy. Have societies sought to eliminate faith in God created a better world? I think that's a fair question to ask. John Lennon's saying, just imagine a world where there is no religion. No, it's not hard to do because we've seen it. Stalin outlawed religion and he killed 20 million of his own people. Mao Zedong did the same thing. He killed, listen to me, 70 million of his own people. Hitler killed 10. The atheistic regime in Cambodia in 1975 killed 20% of their population. 
It is a total myth to think if we just got rid of the world of faith, then people would get better. <laughs> that they'll start loving their neighbor and start adopting orphans and start building hospitals and start loving their enemies and everybody will listen to national public radio. It's a myth. The answer is not the elimination of faith. The answer is the one whom we're placing it in. Sometimes when people say that they've lost faith, it's often because they put their faith in the wrong object. They put their faith in followers of the church over the followers of Christ, over, over Christ himself, the one who birthed it. And the trouble with that is the church is filled with flawed people. We just are. And so they experience this scandal at church or they hear something come out of a preacher's mouth or see something in his life that it doesn't quite fit with who God is. And all of a sudden now they're done with God and religion. Well, faith is not a dogma. Faith is not a doctrine. Faith is not a denomination. Faith is trusting in the very real, resurrected Jesus. That's what faith is. John Stott not only is an amazing author, but he's an amazing disciple of our Lord. And in 2004, there was an article about him in the New York Times, one that Paul Simon, the Grammy Award-winning singer and songwriter, read. You've listened to Paul Simon's music, no doubt you've heard a deep spiritual bent but I also hear a deep spiritual hunger for where do I place this desire to be spiritual in? So he requested a meeting with Dr. Stott. And he flew over to London and visited his modest two-bedroom apartment and immediately got off ranting about all the hypocrisies and all the inconsistencies of Christians, all the terrible things that they had done. And politely, towards the end of the rant, Dr. Stott said, Paul, what matters most is not what you think of his followers. What matters most is what you think of Jesus. So what do you say? What do you think of him? When faith has been hard for me, I mean hard to hold on to. When I've gone through some tough stuff in my life and I've gone through my share, i got to tell you, I just keep coming back to Jesus. And I know that can sound so simplistic, but I've not met a more compelling, courageous, decent, noble, selfless person in print or in person ever in my life. Ever. And this is a man who predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off and was witnessed by over 500 people. I can't let go of that. There have been times when I've wanted to try, but I can't. And he won't let go of me. My faith has ebbed and flowed my entire life. And I have to profess, I do believe. But I also have to pray, God, please help my unbelief. A lot. Because just like the father in this story, Jesus really is greater than my doubts. You remember how the story ends. The father sits there in the midst of his doubts. And yet Jesus delivers the boy because Jesus is greater than doubt. That's the message. And here are a couple of things that I want to suggest in light of that truth if you want a greater than faith. The first is this. We've got to admit our doubts. I'm a doubter. Any others here? Okay. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's the hall of fame of faith. It's been called by preachers and teachers, the cemetery of faith. Well, walk through that cemetery, and yeah, you'll see a little, um, little ark there where Noah's buried. 
He had faith, but let me tell you this, he had some doubts. So did Abraham. We talked enough about him. How about David? Boy, walk through that, that little cemetery and see that big old stone. But that guy could do some serious doubting. Have you read the Psalms lately? And then Gideon, how in the world did he even make it into the cemetery? Or if not about that, you can look at Matthew chapter 28 with me. This one grabbed my heart this week. Just as Jesus is ascending, leaving this world, he's been resurrected. He's, he's had lunch and meetings with the disciples for 40, 50 days. And he's finally going back to be with the Father. Talk about reunion of reunions. Wow. But then we read this. The 11 disciples went to Galilee where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. How's that possible? How do you worship somebody that you doubt? Answer, we do it every week. <laughs> we do. We worship the one that we believe in, and yet we come in here with our doubts. Sometimes just this room, re this room reeks of it because of what's going on sometimes in our church and sometimes what's going on in our lives. Some of the things that are mentioned in prayer, we're going, really, God? We believe, but would you help our unbelief, not just mine? I'm grateful that the New Testament writers are honest that on that day, just as he's about to ascend into the heavens, yeah, they're worshiping, but they're also doing some serious doubting. That's actually not all that strange. Because I'd suggest to you the admission of doubt is the essential ingredient to a credible, pure faith. When you read the book of Job, he is wrestling with God and he is struggling out loud with God. And he says some things that literally tick God off. But in the end, his, his rants toward God are not near as offensive as those pious certainty of Job's three friends who know they've got God figured. That's why at the Kerrville Church of Christ, we're a gathering of Jesus' followers. And no matter where you are in your faith journey, listen to me, you can belong here. You can belong here before you believe. You can belong here as you grow in your belief and sometimes as you struggle to believe because we are growing in our understanding. Faith is a journey. It's not, a, it's not something to be accomplished. To say, I've arrived finally. I, I'm a faithful person. Besides, Jude 22 says this. Please be merciful to those who doubt. We're trying to obey that. I hope you will with your preacher. I love it that they include Thomas and his response to Jesus' resurrection. The, the ten apostles have seen him and heard about him. And so Thomas comes in from getting some groceries or whatever and says, Thomas, you're not going to believe it. He's alive. And he says, I'm not believing that. Not till I see the, the nail scars in his hands, put my hand in his side where the spear I saw. No, nah, I'm not believing that. Jesus comes back a week later. And Thomas is with, the, with all the apostles there. They didn't, they didn't shun him. They didn't say, now listen, you've got to go get that right, brother, before you can be with us. We're trying to model that here. So if you ever, ever get to where you struggle with your faith, please make sure you're doing it in some circles, not just in some rows here. Because the best place for you to be when you're struggling in your faith is with a small group. Just ask Doubting Thomas. A faith that can stand the test of time is not an inherited faith as much as it is an investigated faith. Like this father in Mark chapter 9, you're going to have to admit you have some doubts if you want a greater than faith. Number two, you're going to have to commit to a faith step. 
The good news is you don't have to have all your doubts removed to do that. You see, I, I, I don't think the struggle for faith is the absence of evidence. I think the struggle with faith is just simple fear. I'm afraid that he might not show up if I put my faith in him. I'm afraid also he might. One of the greatest steps of faith I have ever witnessed in my life occurred when Gail and I were divorced. It was Tuesday night, nearly 10 p.m. I'd made arrangements to be secretly, secretly married the next day to a woman I'd been dating. They knew about her, but they didn't know that I was thinking about marrying her. I was about to call it a night when somebody knocked on the door, and it was Gail. She wanted to talk. I didn't. It was late. I said, can't this wait till tomorrow? And she said, for some reason, it can't. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, can I tell you about it? So I let her inside, and she said, I've been trying to sleep, but God won't let me tonight. I, I just know I needed to come and to tell you what's on my heart and what's happened the last two days. She said, all the feelings that I have wanted to have for you the last few years and just wouldn't come are all back. And I just wanted to know if we could start over again. I said, well, your timing stinks. And I explained to her that I was getting married the next day. She got up and started to leave, and I said, wait a minute. I said, your timing stinks, not I won't consider it. Not that I want to think about it. Not that I want to pray about it. And so I, we talked for a few more hours into the morning, and uh, I postponed my wedding plans for a couple of days. And then I postponed those wedding plans, and a week later I married her. A woman who showed up on my doorstep at 10 o'clock at night in her pajamas because God wouldn't let her go to sleep until she came and told me what was on her heart. Now, you want to talk about a step of faith. We were divorced, for heaven's sakes. It was 10 o'clock at night, for heaven's sakes. She's in her pajamas, for heaven's sakes. It starts with admitting that you doubt. It starts also with saying, ah, I'm going to take a step in your direction, Jesus. God is greater than your doubts, but only if the object of your faith is more important than the amount of your faith. Jesus said it so simply. He said, if you just have faith as small as a mustard seed, and we don't live in mustard seed language, if you have faith as small as some lint from the dryer, if, if, you have, if you have faith as small as, you fill in the blank, that freckle on your face. If, if you just have just a little bit of faith, it's enough. Just have faith. In his book, Case for Faith, Lee Strobel tells about a young evangelist who was 30 years old. He's walking in the San Bernalillo Mountains and he is holding his Bible in his hands. And some very intelligent people with impressive degrees have attacked that Bible he has in his hands. And they said... That book is full of myths. That book is full of erroneous stories. And he had listened. And he was about to go preach, and he didn't know if he could do that or not because of what he had heard. And so after a long time of wrestling with God, he got down on his knees and he prayed this prayer. Father, I am going to accept your word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond intellectual questions and doubts, and I'm going to believe that this is your inspired 
word. And a few days later, young Billy Graham preached the Los Angeles Revival, one of the greatest in history, and launched one of the greatest ministries of our lifetime. I am not about to let my doubts keep me from God because God is greater than my doubts. And he's proved it over and over and over again. What about yours? I'd like for you to bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. And I want you to think for a minute, because I want to start this prayer, but I'm going to invite you to, to just spend some time for a second thinking about that doubt, that thing that you are trying to believe God for, believe God in, but it's there's more unbelief there than faith. Would you just think about that one for a minute? Father, we're coming to you as transparent and as honest as we can be. There are things in this world that just we don't know what to do with. You have invited us when we find ourselves in those times of need to come to your throne with boldness. And so we've come this morning. But we also come in absolute humility. We don't have a right to be here. Jesus is the only one who makes this possible. But we have this in our life. This thing that that we, we would love to see you move in, not just for our convenience or for our comfort, but God, would you just please help? And Father, I'm going to ask on behalf of all of my brothers and sisters who have prayed that prayer and who have this thing in their life, would you now give them the faith step that you'd like for them to take? As we're humbly just listening, would you just, would you speak that faith step over them, what, what you'd like to see them do in faith? We believe. Help our unbelief. We know we're not the only church father who's trying to believe, who's struggling to believe. Please be with Faith Christian Church even now, maybe as they're wrapping up their message today, as they're taking communion today, as they're singing today. Please be with them. We ask you to help the faith of all the disciples in this community to grow. That we might be faithful in how we live in front of unbelievers. That they might see and be drawn to a relationship with you because we have believed when it was unbelievable. We cannot do that by ourselves. We need your help. So Spirit, please move among us to encourage and to help us be impassioned about this step of faith that you've given us to do. Thank you so much. We believe. Help our unbelief. Let's stay in church. Let's praise him.